First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's hard to believe, but uh, if you look on your page in, in Peter's original text, verses 3 through 12 comprise one single run-on sentence. And so here in these three verses, Peter is concluding the opening sentence of his letter. And he has been taking the opportunity to introduce his letter by extolling God's praiseworthiness. Now, the overall theme of Peter's letter is, is the persevering in the grace of God, even though this life brings many trials to the Christians. But recognizing God's glory is the foundation of relying on his strength to sustain you through all the trials of this life. Now, in the verses before verse 10, Peter's been writing about the glory of our future inheritance in Christ and about the love that we have for him that carries us through present trials. But now, in tonight's passage, he moves into the past, into Christ's ministry through the ancient prophets to prepare the way for the gospel to be revealed in its fullness. For Peter, this ancient prophetic ministry is yet another line of evidence to demonstrate God's praiseworthiness. Now remember, Peter's audience was just beginning to suffer persecution for their newfound faith. And they stood in serious need of encouragement to, to hold fast to the faith rather than abandon it in the face of trials. You see, for Peter's society, the gospel that was revealed in Christ was a brand new idea. There had been nothing like it before, and so it had no pedigree in respectable society. And so in the short term, when it didn't pay off to follow this new Savior that the apostles proclaimed, this Jesus, it would have been all the more tempting to abandon ship and return to what had worked before, to return to one's old way of life. But Peter undercuts that concept of novelty because Peter's message here is that Christ's work to redeem his people didn't begin when he was born. It didn't even begin when his ministry began. No, Christ has been preparing and proclaiming the gospel through his prophets ever since there were prophets. Now, of course, for you and me, the gospel is no longer a novel idea. It's nearly 2,000 years old. And yet we still need to hear that Christ has been working, through the, has been working the gospel ever since the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, the so-called Proto-Evangelion, the, the primeval gospel, where God promises to the woman that, that the, your seed, your offspring, will crush the serpent's head, though he will bruise his heel. Peter's teaching here is a reminder that there has never been any other way. Just because the idea is new, so to speak, 
doesn't mean that there's ever been any other way to be reconciled to God. And the fact that God has been occupied with redemption essentially from eternity past should give us comfort because it's part of his purpose of creating in the first place. But perhaps even more to the point of this specific passage, what we'll see in these few verses is how the ancient prophets deeply treasured Christ's work when they encountered it in seed form and proclaimed its message. And how much more should we treasure and honor and extol this work now that we have experienced its actual fruit in the coming of Christ in history? And so as we dig deeper into these three verses, we'll look at three aspects of Christ's message through the prophets. In verse 10, we'll look at the message's value. In verse 11, the message's content. And in verse 12, the message's purpose. So first, in verse 10, we look at the great value, the treasure that is the message that Christ proclaimed through his prophets. We read that the prophet's message was a message of this salvation. For verses 3 through 9 could practically be given the section heading, Christ's salvation in our future inheritance and present experience, or something along those lines. Christ has caused all those who believe in him to be born again in accordance with his own glorious resurrection from the dead. And he also is preserving a future inheritance of eternal life with him for all of his people. He preserves us through the trials of this life and gives us reason, a hope for the future to rejoice even when things are hard. And he puts love for him and faith in him into our hearts so that oftentimes, so often, we don't even just have a hope for the future, but we have a genuine experience of rejoicing in trials now on account of that love that we have for him. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't, and I didn't yet really get the gospel. You know what I thought salvation was? I thought it basically meant going to church, getting good grades, and staying out of trouble at school. That's what I thought the gospel basically was. And I guess I didn't really have a plan for, for, for a post-graduation life with Christ. But salvation is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than often the things that we think about when we think about uh, what salvation is and how we experience it because salvation is the life well lived. It's a life that promises joy and it especially promises glorious, limitless joy when Christ returns and we enjoy life with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit forever. I'm not much of a crier, but there are still a few things, even in this life, that bring me to tears of joy every time. I'm betting that most of you, all of you hopefully, have something like that in your life too. And certainly something that makes you irrepressibly happy. Imagine finding that kind of joy in Christ on a permanent basis, and you have just a tiny glimpse of what it will be like to experience salvation in the life to come. Now hopefully the surpassing value of that salvation is evident to you on its own merits. But Peter is adding a little bit more to this. He's saying that the prophets also saw the value of this salvation even though 
They hadn't yet encountered the fulfillment of the promises in history. They had the promises, but they didn't yet have the cross or the empty tomb. They knew the Messiah was coming, but they didn't get to see his ascent, to sit at the Father's right hand in glory. And even so, what they did here captivated them. For it says that concerning this salvation, they searched and inquired carefully. For these words, searched and inquired, translate Greek words that indicate intensity. The prophets didn't just kind of open up Wikipedia one day and look up salvation and then click on a bunch of links until they had 30 browser tabs open about the space program. They were intent on trying to understand the message God had given them. Now this same word that is here, or these two words that are translated searched and inquired, uh, searched appears in the Greek Old Testament. For example, in 2 Kings 22.13, where under King Josiah, the temple was undergoing some much-needed repairs, and the high priest finds the abandoned book of the law of God. And when, when, when Josiah has it read to him, he realizes just how grievously the nation has sinned. He tells several, I think five, of his top men, go inquire. That's the same Greek word. Go inquire of the Lord for me. An urgent command from the king not to be taken lightly. The same word we read of the prophets here. It's a word that is used often uh, in, in the Greek Old Testament when you see, uh, when, when you see it, it said, let us seek after the Lord. It's heartfelt and it's diligent, not haphazard, but focused on trying to understand and know comprehensively to the utter limit. And so the prophets in this search for understanding had been gripped by the glory of the things they had seen. And so consider the lengths that the prophets went to in order to comprehend the message of salvation. Consider the things that, they, that many of them experienced, and yet they pursued their call as prophets nevertheless. Jeremiah regularly went toe-to-toe with the king of Jerusalem, and suffered imprisonment and kidnapping for his message. After Ezekiel's first vision, he says, I sat there overwhelmed seven days. The prophets endured a lot in order to proclaim the message of salvation and to seek to understand it. And the remarkable thing is that Peter does not say that their message was about the grace that was to be theirs. Peter says here, it is the grace that was to be yours. Now, I'm not saying here that the prophets weren't saved. Far from it. But they got to proclaim the promises of Christ's atoning work without seeing it with their own two eyes. And still, they sought to understand and know the inestimable value of the message God had given them. And so how can we possibly value the message any less than they. So we see the value of the prophet's message. But let's turn in verse 11 now to the content of that message. And yet to get there first, we're going to give some attention to the one who gave the message to the prophets. For we'll look at the spirit of Christ in them before we turn to the details of the message itself. For it was the spirit of Christ 
who spoke through the prophets. They may not have known all the details of his life. They, they may not have been able to write the Sermon on the Mount in advance or, or write how he instituted the Lord's Supper. But they did know him. They knew he was the one who would suffer and be glorified. And they knew him through his Holy Spirit sent to them. Christ's Holy Spirit was the one who was in the prophets to give them his message and to proclaim beforehand that he was coming. This was the Spirit who was at work in Moses and all the other prophets. Christ himself, through his Spirit, was at work to proclaim the gospel long before he began his earthly ministry. And so you see that his work was not just the work of three years of ministry in Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. It wasn't just the 33 or so years of work from his birth to his death, resurrection, and ascension. No, he was at work to bring grace to his people ever since the first prophets heard from his spirit to proclaim what he would do. Indeed, this shows us how it is that the entire Old Testament points to Christ. For Christ, by his spirit, was proclaiming his own message through the prophets of old. And this draws us into continuity with the prophets of old. Not that any of us here hold the office of prophet, but that we have the same faith that the prophets did, and that we benefit from all the same things that they proclaimed. For we have the same spirit in ourselves to confirm their words. As Paul writes in Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So if you have faith in Christ, you too stand as part of a faith that stretches back long before the time of Christ. The atonement was being prepared for a long time, and now we have faith in it through the same Spirit that gave the message to the prophets. The Spirit speaks to us through the words of Scripture and plants its truths deep into our hearts, and He confirms the testimony that we have heard about Christ as we seek to read and understand the Scriptures. So there we have the Spirit of Christ speaking through the prophets. But what did he have them speak? He had them speak of Christ's suffering and glories. And so first, his sufferings. You know, we see exactly this sort of message in the servant songs of Isaiah. Here's, here's one little passage from that. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The prophets saw that the promised Messiah would be crushed and pierced. In short, they saw that he would be killed. Christ's suffering was no accident. It was exactly what he had, been, what he had revealed beforehand through the prophets. Yet most of those who saw Jesus face to face rejected him, at least in part, because of his suffering. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Even people who knew what the prophets had foretold, who saw with their own two eyes what Jesus had done, they did not recognize Christ when he came, for they were too focused on the promised glories, or they were too comfortable with their own power, so they couldn't recognize him as the suffering Christ when he actually arrived. Now, of course, what the prophets saw came to pass. Christ was indeed killed. 
Now the prophets were prophesying about the grace, the salvation that was to be yours. And when they were prophesying about the grace and salvation that was to be yours, they were prophesying about the sufferings and the death of the promised Christ. They were prophesying one and the same thing. Christ suffered the death that you deserved for your sins. And when you entrust yourself to him, forgiveness of sins is yours by faith. And yet, you need to be aware. Faith in Christ brings suffering in this life. Christ is conforming us to his own image, which includes his suffering. Jesus warned his people that in this life you will have troubles. They crucified the Messiah, and they'll come for you too. And all of this is part of making us like Christ. Don't you think that's an important message for those who are suffering for Christ's sake in this life? Never forget that he suffered too. And in the process, he's making you like himself. But his suffering wasn't all that there was to his story, for there was the glory that came after. He was crucified and he died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again to life. He rejoined his apostles for a while. And a few weeks later, he ascended to heaven where he now lives in the heavenly throne room at the Father's right hand. His sufferings were no accident, but neither was his glory. And just as you are united to Christ in his sufferings, by faith you will be united to him in his resurrection as well. You will one day enjoy the blessings of eternal life in the presence of God. And so that's the message that Christ had for the prophets, a message of his own sufferings and glory. And these are things that piqued the interest of the prophets. We read in verse 10 how they searched and inquired diligently. But what exactly did they search out? Well, we see here at the beginning of verse 11. Uh, now, there's an ESV footnote. It might not be in your copy of the ESV because I think it's in one of the most recent editions. They update the ESV every few years. Uh, but there's an ESV footnote in the current edition that says, they inquired what time or circumstances the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Now this phrase, what time or circumstances, now in the main text it's what person or time. Uh, it's translating a Greek expression that literally reads, they were inquiring what or what kind of time. Now, it's tricky to weigh which interpretation is most likely, but the scholar Karen Jobes points out that who and what time would have made more sense in Greek writing than who or what. We also don't have that much evidence that the prophets asked a lot of questions about who the Christ would be, but plenty of evidence that they asked a lot of questions about when and in what circumstances he would appear. For the question, how long, O Lord, is not one that only appeared after Christ's resurrection. But in any case, what we see here is how deeply the prophets cared about knowing the Christ once they knew about him. They knew that he was going to come in history. And that's why they inquired into the time and circumstances. What God had promised was going to come true in the real world. And they didn't want to miss out when he came. If you were here this morning, 
You know that Pastor Charles talked about how the religious leaders in Jerusalem were completely uninterested when Christ was born. He had this great line. He said, they had Bible knowledge, but it never changed their hearts. Again, I remind you that the prophets were inquiring diligently to make sure they wouldn't miss out on the Christ. And that's only when they had the promise. They had a message of a suffering and glorified Christ. But they didn't yet have the reality. And it's that reality that we turn to next in verse 12. For in verse 12, we read about the message's purpose. The purpose was for people like you to hear and believe. The prophets labored at understanding their message. Even though they did not get to see the reality in history with their own eyes. Daniel may have had the clearest vision of Christ's sufferings and glory, and yet he was told to seal up the vision for another time and go his own way in faithfulness. Daniel's message was for another generation of believers, yet he himself was strengthened and buoyed in his own service, and he never let up in trying to understand it. And all of this points to your privileged status within the history of God's people. Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 10, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In Matthew 11, he says, The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Here, Peter even speaks of the prophets of old as though they were the servants of the New Testament believers. And the Westminster Confession of Faith says that the ordinances of the gospel are fewer in number and administered with greater simplicity and less outward glory than the ordinances of the Old Testament. Yet in the New Testament, the gospel is held forth in more fullness, evidence and spiritual efficacy, and to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles. This message's purpose was to bring people like you and me, God's people, to faith in Christ. And that's a gospel message that comes today through God's appointed messengers, through pastors and evangelists who preach the good news. And just as the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets, the Holy Spirit speaks through the faithful preaching of God's Word. And yet now we have not only the promise but the fulfillment itself. Peter's audience was being turned into second-class citizens with respect to their own society. You yourself know how faith can lead to a certain loss of status even in today's society. And to say nothing of the way that we have brothers and sisters through church history and through, uh, through across the world today who suffer persecution, who suffer loss of jobs, loss of families, loss of homes, the loss of their life. But in the kingdom of God, there are no second-class citizens. There are only beloved children. And you enjoy the blessing of living in the full knowledge of Christ. For God has put an awful lot of work into this message for a long time. And it continues to be fulfilled to this day. But at the very end of this passage, Peter adds one more thing. It's not only the prophets who are in awe of the message of the gospel. The angels are too. 
As Edmund Clowney writes, Peter portrays the angels as though they are looking over a battlement, straining to look over and see the fulfillment of all God's promises. Now, angels are wise, far wiser than us human beings. And I don't think that we should take Peter's words here to mean that the angels are literally ignorant of what Christ has done. But what we see is how they treasure and long to see the fulfillment of God's promises, just as the prophets did, for they're not all-knowing. And they exist also to serve those who are to inherit salvation, as we see in Hebrews 1.14. The angels eagerly desire to know the answers, just as the ancient prophets did. And this only underscores how much we ought to treasure the message of the gospel. For even the angels can't get enough of what God is at work doing. And so with the mention of the angels, Peter takes the glory of the message and reveals the cosmic dimensions of that glory. If it wasn't enough that we stand in a privileged position with respect to the Gospels over the prophets, Peter's saying that we also enjoy a privileged position even with respect to the angels. For these things that the angels long to look into have been revealed to you in in Christ, through the Holy Spirit speaking through his prophets and through his messengers down to this day. And so you see how great the message of the gospel is. Whatever you may be struggling with on account of your faith, Peter teaches us all that the gospel is greater than anything that we have to deal with. You can be encouraged by it and you can rejoice in God no matter what you struggle with because in the reality of what Christ has done, what Christ announced beforehand through the prophets, God has made you his. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of this message. We thank you that you have united us to Christ in his death and his resurrection and one day in his ascension to glory. And so, Father, we pray that that day would come soon. And we look to you for strength. We trust in your grace to give us strength to persevere until that day comes. Amen.